has somebody has somebody updated the Wikipedia page yet? I have a check. Clay. That's that's a W. Does somebody put my name? No. Uh, Yeah. uh, Question: The Wall Street Journal is reporting that uh, the Russian Defense Ministry has given the go-ahead for grain shipment. I DM. I I sent the article to Axel, and they said that they gave up Snake Island as a gesture of goodwill. (laughs) But the they're saying that it's up to the Ukrainians to demine the area and proceed with grain shipments. That's um, a, that, that's just, that, that's just a sick joke, right? Yeah, yeah, it is pretty much. If you check, my, um, if you check my timeline, Clyde, the most recent tweet has a quote tweet of Michael Horowitz, and that's a full translation of the uh, Russian MOD press officer statement um, into English, so you don't have to struggle with Russian. Um, yeah, they're they're full of shit as as per usual, just as when they were uh, saying that. Oh, yes, our attack on Kiev and Chernihiv, that was all a feint, right? It's the same sort of nonsense that they're spouting yet again. Um, they might try to spin or they will try to spin it that this is now for grain shipment and then very possibly later launch something at the port of Odessa just out of spite. I think there's a good chance that Odessa is going to get struck heavily again today and the day after today and then again probably over the weekend or next week um, because that's kind of their modus operandi thus far. Uh, that's... I mean, that's what we should expect from them anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's all it's all a propaganda spin uh, that they're doing, right? Um, as per usual. Okay, I was, I was just going to say, okay, send the UN ships in to get the grain in. <laughs> they think the UN is because they they specifically said that they don't the UN that, that that they don't disagree with the UN or something to that effect. Anyway, sorry, thanks a lot. Hey, no, it's a pretty that the UN just doesn't matter in this field at all. There is no mind-sweeping capacity, and nobody of the Ukrainians wants to have the defensive mind built around Odessa relieved at this point in time. Because for the time being, uh, those dang um, kilos could still come closer and try to harass the Ukrainian port. So it's war there. Actually, somebody was asking me if um, the fact that Snake Island is now out of commission, if that means that the Ukrainian Air Force can... um, engage the Russian Navy now. I don't think that we need the Ukrainian Air Force for that that much. I think uh, the Ukrainian Air Force will be helpful in such operations, uh, as uh, Gunny once argued that for, in order to tease them out, to be at the perimeter of the um, capacity of uh, Russian ships, that's always good, but you will hit them hard and saturate the sky with different things. Given the fact that uh, there's now Neptunes and Harpoons available, I think the Ukrainians have good defensive capacity in different ways. You remember the boys in the tall grass. I guess I'll put this to both Axel and Gani. Um, you know, Aaron, Herman, anyone else as well. So CJ says, how does Russia have to now change their naval posture to adjust for the loss of Snake Island? What capabilities have changed? What new targets could be presented, etc.? Okay, so, so Snake Island had a long-range air search radar on it. Therefore... If the Ukrainians launched sorties into the Black Sea, specifically the West Black Sea, the Russians should have been able to see it using this this big long-range air search radar. And then if you use that, there was a a command vehicle there, assuming that they were semi-competent, network it all up, maybe with an airborne early warning aircraft. If the Ukrainians had had put fixed wing up um, east of snake island to try and have a go at russian ships they'd have they'd have been intercepted 
probably. So that capability is gone, but the AWACS remains. The AWACS threat remains. So they will still have AWACS up. They will probably still have combat air patrol up. So they've lost one piece of the radar chain, but not all of it. They can compensate. Um, they can use maybe Makarov, although her, her search radar is not, not long range as, as we understand it. Uh, it's probably about 100 clicks, something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, but so they, they can use that. Obviously, they've got to keep her about 170 nautical miles off the coast. So what it's done is it's it's meant that the Russians can't really interfere with air ops over southern, over southern Ukraine, specifically Odessa, because they won't know what's going on. They haven't got the surveillance capability. To restore that surveillance capability, they would have to put an AWACS up over the the kind of the west black sea that's got its own problems one you really need to be able to tank it so you you need to be able to air to air refueling and two of course it will need protection because the ukrainian cna 50 flying around the western black sea um two jet jockeys with a hair on fire um are, are going to kill it in short order so that means that if you've got it escorted Plus, you've got your combat air patrol working with the AWACS. All of them have got to be tanked. So you need air tanking capability and you need it on rotation. So instead of having a big search radar on the island uh, and just having to resupply the island every 48, 72 hours. Now, in order to get that comprehensive air picture, you're talking about an AWACS up on a rotating basis, an AWACS escort up, a combat air patrol up, all the tankers all that kind of thing. Um, that uses up assets. What's their availability on things like AWAC? Would they feel happy using them? Because AWACs are very important to the Russians. They're important bits of kit to every country because they're your national air defense assets. They're the things that, alongside ground-based radars, secure your borders. So will they want to risk them? No, probably not. Um, so has the threat to the Russian surface fleet operating in the West Black Sea gone up? Yep, absolutely. Will it stop them operating in the Western Black Sea? No, I don't think so. I think they will be more, they'll be, they'll be less worried about anti-shipping strikes by the Ukrainian Air Force fast jet. They'll be more worried about Ukrainian assets detecting the surface ship and then someone ashore clinking a couple of harpoons or Neptunes or, or whatever at them. So they're going to have to really stay south now, I think. They've lost their eyes on the coastal situation between Ukraine and, and Constanta. And, and again, they've said it's for humanitarian reasons. Therefore, they've boxed, boxed themselves into a corner. Now they've, got to, now they've got to let the convoys run, which is always what I said. I said, the only way you'll run these grain convoys is with Russian agreement, tacit agreement. And even then, nobody's going to trust them because it's Russians. So uh, who's going to man these grain ships? Who's going to escort them? Because they'll need escorting. It's going to need warships. It's going to need minesweepers. The minesweepers will need escorts. It'll have to be a multinational force. Is that going to happen still? I don't think so. I'd, I would be very surprised unless the participating nations got cast iron 100% guarantees that the Russians, A, will hand over any minefield charts that they've got, and B, maybe even participate and send some sweepers in. So you have to wait out on that. Apart from that, running convoys is still not an option unless that happens. Thank you, Kenny. Um, 
and they didn't even have to use the HIMARS in the end. Sorry, just dealing with some uh, technical stuff, and we're getting John back, uh, which is always great. John. Thanks, mate. Just a quick update. Um, uh, Stoltenberg has just held a press conference uh, at the, the end of the Madrid summit. He was specifically asked the question whether uh, Western uh, main battle tanks were off the table for Ukraine. And, quote, uh, he said that there is not a list of modern systems um, that can't be sent to Ukraine uh, and that NATO has made the commitment to upgrade uh, Ukrainian systems across the piece to to modern NATO standard systems. So I think we're case closed on the argument of whether there is any kind of official or unofficial agreement um, against sending main battle tanks to Ukraine. Isn't it sweet? Isn't it sweet, John? Now, what has to happen to push Mr. Scholz to the brink? Somebody has to do it first. Exactly. Now, who trains currently people on Charlie? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, your uh, your hints on this have been unmissable, and I just hope that that is the case. I'll be uh, I'll be a very happy bunny indeed if if we do do that. We'll have a drink like on senior mate. Roger. Twenty challengers take on the whole Russian army. Don't worry about. It. Yeah, I mean that would that would just be they'll need a lot of air defence. The, the Russians will go after them with a passion. Um, but yeah, what one or two, one or two squadrons carving through a BTG. Um, yeah, that, that I mean, that would be epic. I, I still don't know. I, I really hope you're right, Axel. Um, you're clearly better informed than any of us, but uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't take long. And of course, there's um, there's kit in theatre already, and our sea lift vessel has been very busy the past few weeks because uh, she she runs um, out of places like Marchwood, um, and she's been to and throwing quite a lot. Put it this way, there's a lot of our Challenger 2 has been brought out with storage. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if that's Jen up, then, then fuck, fuck me, yeah, it, it probably is. Um, yeah, because I, I, I mean, a, a, just a straight Chally 2 would, uh, Christ, that would be something, wouldn't it? One of them up against the T90s. Let's see who wins them with your shitty French optics. Yeah, okay, let's have a go at that. Big Papa. Big Papa Sunflower. Big Papa 77. I think Big Papa here. Oh, Big Papa, go ahead. You just want me to keep saying it. You've got, you've got to wrap it now, Doman. I think he has an audio problem. I'll drop him down to listeners uh, and he'll come back again. Uh, Lisa, go ahead. Yes, I was curious. I was like half awake. Um, what time would this have happened? Uh, like in, like uh, if you were in New York, uh, Standard Eastern time? Uh, even... uh, it's just happened. It's just, just... Sorry, don't. Huh? Oh no! Sorry, John. Go I ahead. heard. Go ahead, John. Sorry, thanks. Yeah, I was. He's literally just given the the press conference in the past sort of forty five minutes. Are you talking about the the Snake Island incident? Are you talking about this uh, Stolenberg press conference for what their Italian questions? Stolenberg. It just just went live. Yeah, I can send a link to the the press conferences upon YouTube already, so I can I can send a link to uh, to Doman, and if they want to pop that in the next, I don't know what you do. Sure. If anyone, if anyone cares, I would. If I was you, I would go follow NATO and turn on their notifications for live tweets. If I was you, I would do that. If you actually care. So, Lisa, we're asking about the NATO press conference or Snake Island getting erased. Oh no, I was asking what time. At what time precisely did this happen? 
Yeah, but, but when you Which say one? you mean the NATO press conference, or do you mean the Ukrainian attack on Snake Island and Russians abandoning? Oh, Snake the, Island? I'm I'm sorry, the Ukrainian attack on Snake Island. Okay, this would have been um, yesterday afternoon and evening New York time. And then overnight, more stuff happened. Like this is a very long, prolonged process, but it would have happened already. It would have started happening at a, 16 hours ago, is my guess. Gunny, when did when did events start unfolding on Snake Island? Uh, I think a good two to three days ago. I think that they, it, in fact, no, probably a little bit further. I think that the Ukrainians have been nibbling at it here and there, because uh, of course we did have reports that the, the Russians had managed to. Um, uh, well, the Russians have certainly been engaged in a, in a fairly substantial um, event with the Ukrainians a good few days ago. So I think there's been a little bit of to and fro. And I think at least a week this has been going on, um, a little bit of sparring. Um, Ukrainians probably building up a picture uh, because the, the military is the military and there are patterns and things that you can discern from um how units react on the ground sometimes. So looking at alternate firing points, maybe how the Russians kind of move kit around the island, um, just satisfying themselves that they get they had the layout, maybe getting them to do shoots against drones, things like that, expend some surface-to-air missiles, see where the long-range radar was getting moved, if it was getting moved at all, and then they started killing stuff in, in, a, in a nice, steady um Manner and once once the long range air search radar was killed and the, the the surface to air systems had to go to their own sort of integral radar as opposed to having a nice big one that could indicate targets to them. I think the game was up there because if your radar on your SAM vehicle can only see say thirty kilometers and there's a TBT TB two at forty with with really high end optics, there's nothing you can do about it and these things will just fly around, spot for the artillery. Um, and, and then do the adjustments, ding, 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 job done. And the Russians would have known that. I'm, I'm just confused what, what their thinking was behind it. There was so much they could have done here, so much they could have done to make that place impregnable, and they didn't do any of it. None of the normal switched-on basic air defence stuff that they should have done, they, they bothered. It, I don't know. I'm really scratching my head over it. They, they pulled a flanker taking that island really opened up the, the, the opportunities for themselves to, to, to mess about Odessa and the southern coast. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they just fired it all off into the sock. I, I, it's bizarre, mate. It, it really is. It's, it's totally bizarre to me. Thank you for that explanation. That's very interesting. I know when um, they overtook it, you know, people kept thinking, why don't they just bomb everything? But... Um, it just seems like I don't know the military operations, but I think that uh, Ukraine, along with whatever intelligence that they get, you know, they planned this for a long time. And when I heard that they did that, I was so happy. There was such a great feeling of satisfaction. So I appreciate that, Gunny. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Gunny. Um, there's been more reports of um, ammo dumps to the east of Severodonetsk in occupied Luhansk Oblast, being uh, blown up. There are actually some suggestions that Ukrainians use their air force um, to to affect those ammo dumps deep behind Russian lines, uh, which which is quite which is quite interesting, I think, in itself. 
Um, but if anybody's seen anything a little bit more confirmed than I have, I would be very happy for that. They'd probably be using S20, F, SU-24s or anything? Yeah, some, some Suhoi ground attack aircraft, yeah. That's what, that's what was reported as well. Okay, let's try with Big Papa again. See if we can uh, get this working. Hey, Big Papa, if you hear me, go right ahead. Yes, sir. You got me now? Yeah, I got Oh no, I can't hear you. Uh, we can hear you. Okay, I got you now. Uh, I, yeah, I just I just had a good. quick question for uh, Gunny. Uh, I was just uh, uh, looking at Wikipedia, which is my only knowledge of military weapons. But uh, it looks like the harpoon, if it's fired, if the air launch, if they fire from an aircraft, it doubles the range. So it, I guess my question is: one, is that a different missile? Two, if it is, do you think they have it? And three, uh, can their aircraft fire? Because that would be a standoff weapon. I, I don't know if the Snake Island being gone will give them just the ex, extra, you know, ability to get within 200. I think it's 220 kilometers and get one of those ships in the Black Sea. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so because the the, the round has to be integrated into the search, acquisition, and fire control radar. So you you be. It, it it would be how would you explain it? Uh, it it would it would be a little bit like trying to shoehorn a a, a Ford V8 into a larder. Uh, technically, it might be possible, but I I can't really see it. And bear in mind the the Ukrainians want all the MiG 29s and SU 25s, even down to the hard points and the wiring and and. The, the controls that you'd need in the cockpit. I can't really see it, mate, to be honest. Um, could the Ukrainians get their hands on something that can drop um, Harpoon? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I mean, to be honest, I've never really thought about that. But w what could they use? Uh, what could carry? No, I don't think so. I don't. I can't really think of a of a platform that the Ukrainians could train up on. A six intruder. I don't know if that could carry harpoon. Uh, the old Hoovers. They're long gone. Um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be amazed to be honest with you. I don't, and and I don't think they need that capability. Well, no, I I think they'd like that capability. I mean, if they saw Makarov plus one, sort of two hundred nautical miles south of of the Ukrainian coast. They might be tempted to go for an anti-shipping strike, and they could launch it at range, because someone else would be <clears throat> no, someone else would be providing the, the 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 targeting data, so they wouldn't have to get within their own radar range. I don't know where that would be up on the shopping list, so um, so no, no, I I don't think so. But again, you never say never. You Ukrainians seem to be quite good at this engineering thing. So if someone sends me a photograph in forty-eight hours' time of a a MiG-29 with a, an air-launched harpoon underneath it. I'll be oh, quite impressive. Uh, but I would imagine they, they need all their, their, their fast air for the, their original um, missions at the moment. Yeah, thanks for the answer and, and give me just a little sliver of hope there at the end. I like, I like to hope. Yeah, I mean, if this, if this is true that they used SU-25s, then uh, in that case, Ukrainian artillery killed, killed the long-range air search radar, killed the counter-battery, probably killed the counter-battery radar first capability, killed the long-range radar, killed all the SAM vehicles, and then what you've just got left is grunts on the ground with small arms and man pads. Um, 
probably having already quite an emotional day. And then, you, yeah, you, I suppose you could put a couple of flights of fast air over it again um, and then just liberally sprinkle the place with um, cluster munitions, something like that. And that'd be the final straw. So uh, we'll wait and see. There's going to be some really good footage coming out of this because the one thing Ukrainians do do is um, they do love a bit of um, TB2 footage. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be quite interesting to see. It wouldn't be the first time that they've used faster on Snake Island as well. I got one more question, if that's okay. Uh, Go for it. I was I was wondering about I don't know the laws about airspace. I know I know Russia's fi- firing a lot of things uh, over airspace of Belarus. Uh, did I get that right? Yeah, and, and Russia and uh, so if if Ukraine was to fly over say Romania, if they were to get one of those harpoons or or whatever, and they fire from there, is that is that a safe space? Can Russia shoot down Ukraine uh, jets over Romania in Romanian airspace? If, if... Nope. How does that work? So, okay. there will not be any hostile. There won't be any hostile action by Russian air force assets in NATO airspace. They may dip in from time to time and try to tease people, but there won't be any hostile action. If there is, they're down. So could Ukraine use that to to? Fly they're, not to they're not going to. They're not going to do that, though. Okay, I didn't know. If, if you, they caught you, a, sorry, good question. No, 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 no. BG, please hold it. They, One second. Let's make, this ab- let's make this absolutely clear. Ukraine, if need be, can cross over with its aircraft NATO airspace. There's no nothing inhibiting this because Ukraine has, is not at war with NATO, and if they clear their path and. And a NATO country such as Romania were to grant them access to its airspace. That's a nation to nation availability of airspace. But if a Russian hostile comes chasing into NATO airspace and were to engage in that moment, that plane is down. That's it. That's the end of it. Absolutely. But to use that airspace just to strictly attack, you know, you could fly the planes, but to use that airspace just to attack with. Like offensively, if Ukrainian if Ukrainian uh, fighter pilots uh, need uh, a little bit of R and R in uh, Romanian airspace and pass through it and then exit it, and then uh, when they're in, say <clears throat> in different airspace again fire, then they do that, but they won't fire from Romanian airspace. Of course not. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. his question, though. One thousand percent. Okay. Yeah, I was just uh, trying to if if you located a ship farther south there i didn't know if you could just scream a jet through through romania and then maybe maybe pop out of their airspace and then fire the missile i, I don't know the yeah, problem, I, don't, I don't know these things work the problem is you're opening a can of worms there if, so say if, you, if they do hit it in um, romanian airspace how do they prove it was a ukrainian aircraft and not a romanian aircraft you just open a can of worms really with it okay yeah i think i figured it might get hairy i was just uh, really uh, wondering about the rules and how that yeah, I, I think everyone's sort of, we're all, I know the Russians aren't playing by the Geneva Convention, but in terms of NATO and Russia, we're all kind of playing by the rules. I mean, right now there's an RC-135 RAF jet that's heading off towards the Russian naval base that cannot be named. Um, and even though the Russians do occasionally put fast jets up to hassle, um, no one's doing anything, as far as we know, no one's doing anything inherently unsafe. There are rules in place in, in, in the big game. 
Um, you know, NATO and the Russians are toe to toe at the minute, you know, ag- across the globe. And I don't think anyone really wants this to escalate. So the Russians are buying a bullet. I, they're seeing NATO intelligence assets up that are clearly helping the Ukrainians kill Russians. Uh, but no one's really seriously hassling each other. So there, there's cheeky little rules in place, understood rules probably a little bit of back channel rules uh, and everyone sticks to them. I think a pair of uh, SU-25s emerging from Constanta airspace and doing a single pass over the Makarov and killing her, I reckon that would probably be considered to be going over the mark a little bit, therefore not in anyone's interest. Okay, thanks, Dad. There's an aspect raised there about the Belarusian airspace that Russians are launching missiles from. Um, there's there's a couple of factors there that are worthwhile exploring as well. One, Ukraine isn't taking out those jets over Belarus. Primarily, well, I guess there's two there's two possible reasons for that. One is they don't want to get to give an excuse for Belarus to become actively engaged, um, and that's probably why. The other one is they're still kind of far away, and it's just difficult to engage them with the air defenses that um, Ukrainians currently have. If they had better air defenses with longer range, they'd probably be taking out those jets uh, that are launching missiles against Kiev and Chernihiv as well, even though they're over Belarus, um, right? Because you, you, if you take a jet out that has two to four missiles on it, um, that's worth a lot more than just taking an individual missile out. CJ, how's your run? It was fantastic. Great uh, conversation so far. Um, yeah, because I was also interested in, in a similar type question, really, what new things the Ukrainian Air Force could do. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Did you like Ravis Kader? Oh, I loved it, especially because it was right when I was beginning. And also because uh, it was not one I've heard before because it's a tank-based cadence. You know, unfortunately, you know, the only um, the only downside to equality in the U.S. Army and a much better working environment is the uh, saltier cadences, which probably were long past overdue and getting rid of. But uh, it's definitely a callback to an earlier era. What do you mean getting rid of salty cadences? Well, you know, our, our army is now for the first time uh, 100% equal in terms of who can be in it. And, you know, as it always should have been, it took way too long. But uh, now that it is that way, there are some things that probably uh, should change and for the better, too. EJ, I thought, I thought you were going to say that uh, the army now promotes a low-sodium diet. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, maybe. Uh, they, you know, they are trying to get healthier. Although I will say, you know, it's interesting... Um, quite selfishly, you know, how this kind of war will impact uh, recruitment. And, you know, that may seem strange, right? The U.S. Army is not fighting the war. But when we saw what was going on in the Middle East in terms of, you know, ISIS and, and whatnot, sometimes world events can uh, can change other militaries, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. So we'll have to wait and see, because uh, this year is the worst year for uh, military recruiting since 1973, when it became an all-volunteer force and it would, the, the draft was done with. So Definitely an interesting challenge uh, moving forward to get people to join and stay. There's a lot of different factors. There's I don't know if you watched the full entire NATO summit, but they're talking about hitting goals of I think it's like 2030, 2050 of being 50% or it's actually 45% uh, energy efficient and then 0% by 2050 for uh, NATO forces. It's going to be interesting to see the changes they make. Yeah, and that 0% was... energy uh, output emission. I know this was an initiative uh, that, that President Biden was looking at, uh, at least for the U.S. internally, and it must have spread the rest of NATO to make um, 
the United States military uh, carbon neutral by, I think, 2050 so that it would have no emissions, which is definitely ambitious considering uh, the lack of solar powered tanks. But, you know, if it, if it works, it works. Zero percent is a very crazy. That's a fine number. Zero. I love the fact that you can take a jerry can of diesel and put it in a leopard two and get it going again. You know, I will say uh, briefly in regards to the war, you know, if you look at you know the transition from World War One to World War Two, you know, certain countries made the jump to fuel. You know, Germany was not fully um, not fu- fully dependent on fuel, which obviously uh, as the war went on, they switched over more and more. But we see in this conflict, you know, the, 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 the importance of gas, both for the civilian economy to keep it going and also for. Uh, the militaries, you know, you'd have to think that if um, more energy efficient solutions were done, it would it would maybe be a different consideration for what resources are valuable, whether it be in future wars, you know, the you know the artillery targeting solar plants or nuclear reactors or whatever. But uh, you know, some things change and some things don't. You know, it's there's going to be some part of energy that's always uh, really important to the, the military, whatever it might be. So let's hope that the Atakams, as our southern friends call them, or the Atakams are uh, in theater soon, so we can see more strikes on refine. Definitely. I know uh, I overheard that uh, Delman was talking about some new strikes. You know, I'd be interested to see if, uh, if you know, if, if hypothetically HIMARS played a role in this. You know, that was the other two systems that have been missing for the last week. That seems to be a good target. You know, maybe the, the Ukrainians had a feeling that Russia did not have much of an appetite to stay at Snake Island, so they front-loaded the missions for them there which means we may see them soon in Tehran if they're not already there helping with that offensive. So I would be on the lookout. And the other four are supposed to be delivered soon, in addition to the, you know, 10 others from the other countries. So things are about to change uh, pretty fast here in, in a good way. So what do you think is going to happen as soon as uh, one of the jetties in Sevastopol gets hit by a proper attack and missile or two? And then essentially, uh, Putin would have to decide. Well, actually, not Putin, but somebody there has to decide as to whether they want to keep that little thing going. I think this is a, a super important question because it's going to influence where and how Ukrainians target. You know, this is, in my opinion, the first major retreat by the you know the Russian Navy. Let's say we've seen many retreats from the Russian army. You know, all, obviously, all across the north. Uh, with all those axes that, that failed. And what's important about it is understanding, you know, how to apply pressure, because in some situations, obviously, you know, killing the most amount of soldiers and tanks is the most important solution. But sometimes it's just uh, making it seem like they're going to, you know, vis-a-vis encircling them or constant bombardment. So if they can start to figure out what makes the Russians fold, at, you know, in ARC and land, this is how they're going to win with, you know, much smaller numbers across the board, because they have the they have the quality to, to make it happen, but they have to, you know, project their force in, in an adequate way. So I wonder, that probably is a better question for Gunny, but I'd imagine, um, I mean, if the Russian Navy leaves uh, Crimea, I mean, what's left to defend it? You know what I mean? I feel like that would just trigger a whole other bunch of things. So maybe there'd be naval losses. Well, they have they have the air base and they have uh, two large garrisons, one the garrison securing Sebastopol and the other one uh, in the middle of the island, close to Simferopol. So, but still, that's just army. Sorry, guys. I should have said Andy. that's just Russian army. Anti, we hear Finland is going to sign accession on Tuesday. Oh, really? Yep. Congrats. Wow. Anti, you have to get out of the icicle farm. It's <laughs> a new. It seems that uh, I'm forever uh, on the... Uh, 
on the on the backhand of uh, getting to uh, to finish national security news. But uh, you know, I do have to do other things during the day at least sometimes. So uh, I I do, I do apologize for that. But it's it's a it's a reality we live in. There's a lot of civil engineering going into icicle farming. We understand this. Well, well, I mean, I, I I could do. I suppose I could do a two and a half hour narr- narrative on that. Saturday uh, mid afternoon, one to three o'clock, please. No, 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 no. That's 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 uh, out out of office hours for me. So I I, I wouldn't want to you know uh, do do. Uh, actual you know civil engineering work while i'm not working that that seems kind of kind of uh you know can you talk to your finnish countrymen who are also engaged in artillery and uh, talk a little bit about the finnish artillery setup its training and how you actually get to this extremely high standard which nato already likes a lot and we're very interested in integrating because that would be a cool thing if you could talk about this on the weekend Wow! I mean, Finnish well, artillery uh, in Finnish Finnish mortar is exceptionally skilled. So we should hear about that. That's true. Just wondering because uh, I do have some uh, tenuous links to some military people, but none of them are artillery, which is a problem. And the, even though I, I was in the military and I was in the artillery, but uh, but that was uh, already so long ago that I, I don't actually have any. Uh, any useful contacts from that period? Have a word with um, Have a word with uh, Miko and with uh, Scandinavian. Maybe you three can fit something together. Well, I can, I can definitely uh, talk to. Uh, yeah, I, I will. I will. I will. I will try. But uh, there are other things uh, that are a bit, you know, occupying my time. But uh, it. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I will, I will give it a give it a try, but uh, no, no promises as as of yet. You don't want to tell us later that everything failed just because of you, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> it's uh, right. that's uh, that's quite a. Oh, sorry, I have to. Uh, oh, phone ringing. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that, Auntie. You um, question or comment, or should we go to Jim? Yes, yes, I, I did have a question. Uh, did. Uh, uh, if Gunny is still here, yeah, man, mate. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm kind of guessing. I know the answer to this, but uh, based on what we know so far, which is quite quite little so far, would you care to uh, make a um, some sort of a uh, educated guess as to what the Ukrainians uh, used in uh, hitting uh, Snake Island uh, this time around to uh, force the uh, uh, Russians to retreat. Artillery. <laughs> um, I think the um, howitzers. I think the howitzers hit. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally, I, I think something that might have been able to fire maybe a couple of Excaliburs to kill, kill whatever the Ukrainians thought were the two really important um, priority targets, and then looking at the ranges, I, I think probably just um, tubed artillery. I've just had another look at some footage. There is a bit of a confusing shot. It's um, it's TB2 footage, and there's a, a shell splash well to the right of the island. Um, I mean, like, way off. Uh, I don't know if that was just the initial lay, but it, it, it seems a little bit far off. There's no boat there. Um, 
no indication there was anything there to shoot. They they just um, put a round into the sea. Um, obviously, they'd, they'd have come left um, and adjusted onto, onto the island, but it does look a little bit way off to me. It's quite surprising, really. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't think we know. Could it have been high Mars? Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I'm not sure. The, the problem with high Mars is high Mars is responsible for everything at the moment. It's, yeah. it's a mystical godlike weapon um, and everything's attributed to, to high Mars. So given the ranges, about 25 nautical miles, they, they could have used anything. We know that there was sustained firing yesterday um, somewhere on the Ukrainian coast. Once the long-range radar was dead, they could have used TB2s to adjust anything with the range. So I, I know they put out stuff. Just everyone remember, you're all part of a disinformation pro, um, process. So if the Ukrainian military put up a picture of a certain gun system, don't take it as that's a gun system necessarily. It might have been something completely different it, it, because you're watching these videos and the Russians are watching it. So I, I would just wait out till we get absolute confirmation. But I watched that video again. I mean, it it doesn't look like the place was blanketed initially anyway. It's like one round, one round, one round. I'm just wondering why that one, how they managed to get get that round so far off target initially. But clearly after that, it worked because the Russians fucked off, didn't they? Yeah. Okay, thank you. That was what I had in mind. I'd ask CJ actually, mate. He's got his hand up. He's way better placed. Now he's done his run after listening to Shania Twain or whatever it is he listens to when he's running. Okay. I was listening, I was listening to you, uh, Gunny. Although, Dolman, you remember yesterday when you asked, or I can't remember exactly who asked about the rocket assistant propellant? I mean, this is the perfect time to use it, right? With a range of 40 kilometers, the real downside to this rocket assisted propellant is uh, it's not terribly accurate. It can be up to 400 meters off. And so I would not be surprised if. You know, they just had two or four of these Ukrainian howitzers at the end, and they had these uh, rocket assist propellant rounds. And if, uh, you know, Gunny's right, which it sounds like he is, and they had a TB2 in the air, I mean, they could have done that literally forever. I mean, really forever, because with a couple guns, they're not going to go through much ammo. I mean, they could have maybe brought 100 or 200 rounds and spent all day just taking shots once the radar's down, because, you know, Russia can't do anything to stop them. So that's definitely a, a high possibility that that's how it ended. Jim? Yeah, hey guys, uh, CJ, brother, I'm interested in, in, in what you've got to say on a couple of things. Uh, firstly, the, I mean, the challenges we all know with M270 and M142 uh, MLRS is getting enough rounds out there. Uh, are they going to be coming with the German, Norwegian, British units, or is, it, uh, all, the, is all, all the ammunition going to be coming from the US, which will probably mean on ships? Uh, that's my first question. And secondly, you know, if you were in charge of, of counteroffensive, for the Ukrainian forces, at what point do you feel, you know, would you be comfortable with some sort of force parity in, in terms of artillery? Um, you know, is it, is it months away or, or could it be soon? So to answer your first question, and Axel will have to uh, correct me on this, I remember seeing in the German package that they were going to give some of their rockets. So, you know, there's the stocks in Germany, there's the stocks in the UK, and there's also the United States pre-positioned stocks in Europe. So there's... Uh, while some may be shipped over, I think that might be to backfill the ones that are already in Europe waiting for World War III. And now, you know, to avoid World War III, which is never going to happen anyways, might as well use them now. Uh, but Axel might have more details about the ammo. Affirmative on both counts. Yep, so that makes it a lot easier than shipping if uh, Germany's giving up its stocks and also the U.S. stocks in Germany are being used. To answer your second question, you know, 
when we talk about culmination point or initiative and sort of strategic things, you know, keep in mind, I'm certified to plan up to the division level. So, you know, up to plan operations for like 15,000 people, but this will be much bigger than that. So it's a little bit out of my scope. But what I would say is, you know, basically they want to be in a good position. Um, They're really just setting the conditions now, we would say. So in the first case, they need to stop the offensive. And so if it were me, I would be talking all of the uh, fuel depots because without fuel, Russians can't move, to put it quite simply. And uh, you notice that's pretty much what they're doing is they're going for fuel first. The second thing I would do is I would be sort of taking these movement corridors. So I would not be focused on the cities now. Ukraine doesn't have enough people. But if you can set up these movement corridors, and by that I mean areas of terrain that are good for large amount of tanks, then what you can do is you can basically set up staging areas and and good fields of fire for when you want to go on the offensive. Because the reality is, even with the mass mobilization and all the equipment donations, Ukraine is still not going to have a a huge ratio to, to attack. The way they're going to get around that, though, is through firepower with these precision guided systems. Again, they're going to have 18 HIMARS and MLRS by the end of this month. I mean, that is a gigantic amount. That's how many, you know, America went into Iraq with the first time. I mean, there that is more um, of these systems in place for Ukraine by the end of the month than at any other point in time, especially in large scale combat anywhere in the world. So a pretty significant amount of firepower. But as we heard from Bryce over the last few days and heard from others, you know, the key part is taking out these uh, Russian radar and air defense so the Ukrainian Air Force can help make up the gap that the Ukrainian ground forces are simply just not going to be able to. They're not going to have three to one artillery to the Russians. They're not going to have three to one tanks to the Russians. But if their Air Force has a slight edge and obviously they're much more competent than the Russians, then they can get around that. So really, everything now should be focused to slowing down the Russians and then setting the conditions for um, basically the Ukrainian Air Force to, to help them um, level the playing field. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, extraordinary what, what the, the Ukraine Air Force has done just to survive. And now we're talking about them having an advantage over the Russians. It's unbelievable. But we need more than just the gimnas. We need the... Oh, God, I can't get used to it. But um, as uh, Ben Hodges used it, the Atakams, or the Atakams, we really need them in play. Now, they're Atakams because they attack them. Sorry. Um, oh, some... come on, Dolman. <laughs> Somebody's asking me... Um, might they have used the Tochka Uz on Snake Island as well? I mean, once the radars are down, like Gunny said, anything is really possible. I think probably not, because this is a situation that is in artillery range. So whereas they may have used some more precision-guided missiles for the first part, they really didn't need to, I don't want to say waste, but they could, if they could use their organic, you know, 155s they made in 2018, these uh, 2S-22s, I mean, there's no reason not to. Um, I haven't seen them fielded anywhere else in the war. So I wonder if maybe they were just, do, you know, pulling border duty or kind of kept out of the way, especially because, you know, in the beginning of the war, Ukraine didn't have much 155 ammo. But now that the ammo is more plentiful, these things probably came out to play. So I would say I, it wouldn't make sense in, from my point of view to use a Tachko when you have something that's um, static and uh not going to run away from you because that's the biggest thing right precision guided missiles are good when you have sort of a a time sensitive target like a bunch of tanks that are in one place for a couple hours or something that's going to move later on but the island is uh not going anywhere so even if the ukraine system isn't necessarily the best it's a perfect solution for for what they needed and the precision isn't the best right is that that's part of it well i mean i i really don't know you know, all I know is the Soviet artillery, and this is, you know, there's not many Ukrainian pieces that have been built since the Soviet era. 
Um, but as we've seen with their Stugnas and their Neptunes, they're certainly uh, very skilled at making this equipment. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's much better than the Soviet systems. I just I don't know enough to speak um, adequately. But the ranges required to hit the island would require pretty much rocket-assisted rounds or pretty much a high-end charge, which is just going to be slightly more inaccurate than shooting close. Yeah, of course. Um, Imperius, um, do you want to get up to co-host as well? Axel, could you possibly get Imperius up, uh, but also go ahead? Uh, I'm not actually in a position to uh, accept co-host right now. Okay. But um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of add on to what CJ was saying there. That um, I mean, the, ma- the main reason we haven't seen any more Bogdana 2S22s is, well, there's, there's only the one. Um, and, and it just occurred to me, actually, that um, this might be uh, them sort of test firing the the rocket assist rounds, uh, assuming, you know, that like those just got off the, the plane or something. So they might be saying, all right, we have, we have this spare Bogdana lying around that we can't really integrate into anyone. Uh, where, where can we use it and what can we do with it? And I guess figuring out the, uh, the sort of nitty gritty of, uh, extended range firing might be what they're trying to do on top of a, a really nice propaganda win that they have here. And you know, to Imperius's point, you can't ignore the symbolism. You know, Ukrainian weapons on a Ukrainian island to, to push out the Russians. It was the same with the Moscow, right? There's a, a real importance that comes from that when you weaponeer that it's not just a big FU, but it, it shows just how capable the Ukrainians are. Jim? Yeah, I think uh, you probably already discussed it, but there was a photograph about 14 hours ago of a, of a 155, Ukrainian 155 firing a shell with a, a clear red circle at the bottom. It, apparently, some it's a base bleed shell. So they have those. I guess, I guess 30% more range. Would they be using those? Yep, and that's exactly what we're talking about. So base bleed, rock-assisted propellant, it's, um, it's, 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 it's the same thing. It just goes by a couple different names. But um, you know, I don't know if it was a Ukrainian shell, but I know that um, at least America has provided them, and it's the same caliber. So when I wouldn't be surprised if they were shooting American shells, but because um, you know they they have a lot more of those than they have probably made, um, and they're very good. But again, the, the main problem with them is they're not necessarily the most accurate. But this is a perfect situation to use them, especially once you get a TB two in the air. And and that's really important for fire correction, right? Thanos, uh, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Well, it's it's one of those interesting things where, as much as the. Uh, as much as the former Pentagon official and me absolutely abhors having a dog's breakfast for an order of battle, it really makes it damn near impossible for the enemy to uh, establish any kind of range rings or assumptions as to what could hit them and from what vector. So the fact that so much different gear is being introduced to the Ukrainian side and really hats off to them that they've been able to train up on all of this stuff so fast and then not only train up to it, but get it to the front and get it in action and and get it in action with effect is really just quite incredible. Those extended range uh, munitions, the the rocket-assisted munitions, from a Navy perspective, we've been experimenting with them, and it's it's been a mixed bag, mostly for fire support, just like uh, all of the, the land-based equivalents would be, whether it's X or another round Excaliburs made by Raytheon. Uh, there are small guidance package alternatives that you can put onto them, but 
as the previous speaker had said, they're still going to be fairly inaccurate and really are not a substitute for any kind of precision strike uh, weapon that you might have, whether it's launched from an airplane, uh, it's a guided missile, or it is uh, even dropped by a uh, TB2. Uh, it's still a, a, an absolute coup, uh, what they've done with it, and uh, I hope to see more of it because maybe soon, uh, uh, you know, that moratorium may be lifted uh, to fire uh, rocket-assisted artillery shells into uh, Russian supply lines actually within Russia proper, uh, kind of where uh, the Ukrainians have been prohibited from sh- shooting the uh, M270. As for ATACMS, it's another extremely uh, capable weapon system. We have experimented with it in the past uh, as using it in a anti-ship uh, role. It is a little harder, of course, to hit a moving target. Uh, and then there are, of course, some uh, guidance issues and discrimination issues when you're talking about a maritime environment. Your your clutter moves on you. But the good thing is that uh, the vector that the ATACMS would attack the uh, ships with is what we would classify as a high diver. And a lot of times what you find is that especially Russian rotating radars do not have sufficient elevation uh, to be able to see that missile coming down. So it, pre- it presents a really, really uh, good opportunity to do a lot of really great things and most importantly to hold a lot of things at risk, right? When you're trying to slow down an enemy in the field, you know, uh, and you're not just going to, and they're numerically superior, you're not going to be able to necessarily slow them down with direct action alone. You need to be able to hold things that they care about at risk so that they adopt a more conservative timeline and more conservative action. So I think this is all moving in the right direction. uh, And and I really hope as much as, as, as much as some people, especially our British and Canadian counterparts, might find them distasteful, uh, we better start uh, becoming real comfortable with laying out quite a few minefields. Sorry, could you say the last sentence again? Laying out minefields where? Everywhere, along the, uh, the eastern front and the uh, southern front. In Ukraine, you mean, right? Or during the NATO eastern front? Uh, both both uh, but definitely in the in uh, in Ukraine and uh, it, it's just one of those things where yes you do risk uh, civilian casualties but uh, nothing slows people down like a minefield minefields have been extremely effective uh, since the beginning of time in fact minefields are literally keeping the peace or something resembling it in uh, Korea right now thanks Dennis. I just wanted to be absolutely clear on, on what you're saying just so that we don't have misunderstandings later on. Um, I have nothing against it from my from my perspective, uh, because I know that unlike the Russians, they actually go and A, mark the minefields, and B, not just launch them from uh, five miles away using effective rocket artillery. Um, CJ, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, they, being a high-precision weapon, they can come in almost straight down, which is not something that all the Russian missiles can do. And so this also makes it tif- way more difficult to detect because if you're looking off, you know, kind of off at the horizon with your radar and it comes in and hits you in the forehead, you know, there's not much you can do to stop it. But I know I think Wings is still uh, listening here. I was just going to push back. So he sent me a screenshot from the video from the Ukrainian military of 
basically um, the TB2 adjusting these rocket guided rounds. I sent it to my friend who's a mortarman, and we both agree at 36 kilometers, it's about.